Holy Father, we are here in this place. Jesus front and center, as it must be. We can only imagine that moment one day. Not face to face, but face to face with this same Lord Jesus. His Spirit is here. We sense Him. As we commence this journey, oh God, do something deep within us and let Holy Scripture engage not only our minds, but address our hearts and guide our lives after Jesus. We pray in His name. Amen. Then God's temple in heaven was opened. And within, it, within His temple was seen the ark of His covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. The temple. Why bother with the temple? in the 21st century because of an illustration about Fenway Park in Boston. That's why. This summer, a physician friend of mine from California named Fred Bishop put me in touch with the research and studies of a trends analyst named Chris Martinson. And as I began to move through his astounding conclusions. I came across an illustration he used that was so startling for me that I have shared this illustration with everyone I summered with this year. And now I want to share it with you. It's about Fenway Park in Boston, Massachusetts. Now, if you're not an aficionado of the sport of baseball, you have no idea what Fenway Park is, but it's where the Boston Red Sox play. I'll put a picture of Fenway Park on the screen. It's a great painting, by the way. For the sake of illustration right now, let's assume that Fenway Park is watertight. You can fill it to the top with water. And let's also assume that I handcuff you to the top seat in the highest bleacher. You see up there in the right-hand corner. After handcuffing you to that seat... I, carrying a magic eyedropper, walk all the way down to the pitcher's mound. Do you see the pitcher's mound down there in the, in the middle of that green grass? I step onto that pitcher's mound and I lift the magic eyedropper up and I release a single drop of water. Now, the reason the eyedropper is magic is because that water, every 60 seconds, will double. So in one minute, it'll be two water drops. In uh, two minutes, it will be four water drops. In three minutes, you get the picture, it'll be eight, and so on and so on. Here's the question for you. You're handcuffed up there. How much time do you have to get out of Fenway Park before it is filled with water? How much time would you like? At 12.44, because I dropped the drop of water, let's say, at noon. At 12.44, you're still handcuffed. Down on the floor of Fenway, there is now five feet of water. All right? 93% of Fenway is still empty. That's 12.44. How much time do you have to extricate yourself now if you're going to get out alive? 
By 1249, the entire park is filled to the top with water. In five minutes, 93% got done in five minutes. Now, Chris Martinson's illustrating the point, and he's not a Christian as far as I can tell, but that wouldn't matter, would it? He's illustrating the point of the power of compounding. And he quotes a gentleman named Albert Bartlett, and I'll put his, uh, Bartlett's words on the screen for you. The greatest shortcoming of the human race is our inability to understand the exponential function. And then this trends analyst, Martinson, begins to put up graph after graph after graph. Let me just run a few by, just a few. All right, here we go. These are called hockey stick graphs, and you'll see why in just one second. Let's take the human population. We'll start right here at the beginning of whenever the population began. Here's the graph of the human population over the centuries. Until you come down, you come into the 2000s, you come to 2007, 8, 9, and then the graph shoots up. In the next 30 years, 3 billion more human beings will be on this planet. Where are they going to live if the present rate continues? Here's another graph. This is the human consumption of energy, all right? Starts right here. Whenever we started consuming energy, it goes like this, goes like this, goes like this. But then you get down to 2000, 2005, 2006, and it skyrockets. India and China are on board. There's another graph. Watch this one. U.S. indebtedness. 1776, government debt. Right here. Americans' debt. 1776, it just keeps going. Nothing happening. This is great. This is wonderful. Until you get down to 2000, 2007, 8, 9, and this thing goes out of sight. The power of compounding so that when the sweep comes, it happens in a very, just like Fenway Park, short period of time. After studying Chris Martinson's research, I go to that apocalyptic classic called Great Controversy. I've never seen this sentence before. I'm going to put it on the screen for you right now. The end will come more quickly than men and women expect. Amazing. Now, then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within His temple was seen the ark of His covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. Could it be, ladies and gentlemen, that what is transpiring right now in the temple above, even as we are speaking, could it be that because of this phenomenal acceleration called exponential growth, could it be that what's taking place up there is critically important and significant to your life and mine on this planet? Because I believe the answer is yes. We begin a new series today. It's called The Temple. I'm ready to go. Pull your study guide out. Let's fly. Pull your study guide out right now, please, in your worship bulletin. Brand new study guide for a new series called The Temple. You didn't get a study guide? We've got friendly ushers here, and here they come. Hold your hand up. I want to make sure everybody here sees these four realities 
of the temple in heaven. Four realities. And when the fourth one's over, I'm out of here. Okay? Four of these. If you didn't get a study guide, hold your hand up all the way to the back of the balcony. In the overflow choir, you've got the study guides. All right. Good. Keep your hand up. I want to say to those of you who are watching us right now, we are delighted to have you. We're beginning a brand new series. You need, you'll be able to get the same study guide. Let me put our website on the screen for you. Put it on the screen. You see it right there. PM Church. www.pmchurch.tv You're looking for a brand new series entitled The Temple and the title of part one, which is right now, Through a Crack in the Door. All right? Through a Crack in the Door. So you hit study guide where it says uh, Through a Crack in the Door, you'll have this study guide. Keep your hand up. Our friendly ushers are coming your way, but we need to go. So looking through a crack in the door right now, what can we know about the temple in heaven? There are four realities. Jot these down. Reality number one, we can know that there is one. Would you jot that down, please? We can know, reality number one, that there is one. There is a temple. Let's go to our theme text uh, for this series. I read it just a moment ago, but now we'll read it together. Go to the Bible's last book, the Apocalypse. Go to the Book of Revelation, please. Chapter 11. Let's read that line. One, let's, let's read that line one more time. Revelation chapter 11, verse 19. By the way, if you didn't bring a pew Bible, grab the... Uh, I'm sorry, if you didn't bring your own Bible, grab our pew Bible. Don't take it home, please. But grab our pew Bible and uh, turn to the last book of the Bible. I've got the page number here. It will be page 829. I'm in the NIV for this series. Most uh, university students are with NIV, so we'll kind of be connected uh, with the same translation this fall. Chapter 11, Revelation 11, verse 19. Let me read it again in your hearing. Then, this is at the end of time. Every scholar I know says, we know this is at the end. All right? In In the flow of the apocalypse. Then God's temple in heaven was opened. And within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. Would you write that down, please? Revelation 11:19. Fill it in. Then God's temple in heaven was opened, and within his temple was seen the ark of the covenant. Two temples there. One temple, but two words, temple. The Bible presupposes the existence of a loving creator God. He has, a place some, he has a place somewhere in this universe where he resides. It is a palace, and the Bible calls his palace the temple. That's it. Okay? Okay, let me, let me put another text up on the screen for you. Habakkuk 2, verse 20. The Lord is in his holy... Once in a while you hear a choir sing that as a response. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth keep silence before him. Keep silent. Habakkuk 2.20. Let me give you one more. By the way, you can take your concordance. Just look under temple. There are, there are scores of these. Let me give you one more, though. Psalm 102, verse 19. Psalm 102, verse 19. We'll put it on the screen. The Lord looked down from His sanctuary. He looked down from His sanctuary on high. From heaven, He viewed the earth. You'll notice in the Scriptures that the word temple and the word sanctuary are interchanged in describing God's dwelling place. The Bible is very clear. God's sanctuary is in heaven. It's his his temple. So what can we know about the temple? What realities? Reality number one, there is one. Reality number two, jot it down, please. We can know that God is seated there on His throne. 
a little longer line. I'll give you a moment to fill that in. That God is seated there on His throne. God's temple is His palace. And from His throne, He rules the universe. Now, I've got to tell you, the Bible offers precious little detail regarding this temple. But the Bible is replete with dramatic details about the throne. I want to take you to three. The three great throne passages of Scripture. And rather than just putting this on the screen and letting you follow that way, I want you to follow along, please, in your Bible. And we'll take them in order as they appear in the Bible. Let's go back to the book of Ezekiel. We are hardly ever in that book. He was a very young prophet, by the way, just barely married, young man, Ezekiel. All right, Ezekiel chapter 1. He's in a vision. By the way, all three of these are visions because there ain't nobody that's been to the temple and come back to tell of it. All right? You can't get there physically unless God takes you. But envision these three, three descriptors. All right, so we'll go to uh, Ezekiel chapter 1 in the Pew Bible. That would be page 557. Ezekiel chapter 1. And by the way, we've got art majors here. We've got... This generation, you are so visual. Everything is visual for you. So you're not going to have any problem. We thought about it. We said, shall we put some colors up there? Shall we do some? No, 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 no. Your, your imagination is much more powerful than anything we could put on the screen. So you just let your, vision, let your imagination go wild, as it were. Okay, we're going to go here. Ezekiel chapter 1, pick it up in verse 25. Then there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads. And by the way, the expanse has just been described as sparkling like ice. So you got this, you got this just this, almost like a diamond sky, sparkling like ice. Then there came a voice from above the expanse over their heads as they stood with lowered wings. All right, talking about some angelic creatures. Verse 26, above the expanse over their heads was what looked like, now you're trying to imagine this in your mind, what looked like a throne of sapphire. Now, I need to tell you, sapphire is resplendent blue. So it's a throne. It's a blue glass throne, it looks like. So there, what, there appeared what looked like a throne of sapphire. And high above on the throne was a figure like that of a man. You know, I, I was looking very closely, Ezekiel said. I couldn't quite tell. There was so much light there. But it looked, it, it looked like a human being sitting on that resplendent blue throne. I mean, what can, what can Ezekiel do? He has to use the language he has. He goes on. Verse 27. Oh, and by the way, I saw that from what appeared to be his waist up. So he's looking at that being on the throne. What appeared to be his waist up, he looked like glowing metal as if full of fire. And that from there down, from his waist down, he looks like fire. And brilliant light surrounded him. So you just have this yellow, gold, orange, just, just you, you're putting your hand up. It's so bright. Brilliant light. Verse 28. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. You ever seen a rainbow? Oh, that shimmering mist. Like the appearance of a rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day. So was the radiance around this being. This was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of the Lord. And when I saw it, I fell face down, as you and I would, and I heard the voice of one speaking. Mercy. Notice how the descriptors build as we go. The very next book is Daniel. So just keep going towards the end of your Bible. 
Daniel. There are only three depictors, passages that uh, depict the throne. And uh, this is number two. Daniel chapter 7. So you're holding those pictures now, holding the colors. You're going to see some more colors added along the way. Let's go. Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. Just, just two verses. Daniel 7. He also is envisioned. Verse 9. And as I look, thrones were set in place, and the Ancient of Days. Does yours have capital A, capital D? Ancient of Days. It's a title. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. Now, you need to understand that in the Near Eastern culture from which Daniel writes, the older you get, the wiser you are. The whiter your hair, the wiser your mind. Hallelujah. So, so that's why when God wants to picture himself to Near Easterners who are the readers, he says, I'll show up as an old man. They will know I'm the wisest of the wise. So that's why he shows up as an old man. Look at it. Look at it. Uh, thrones are set in place. And by the way, plural thrones, you noted that. And the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was as white as snow, and the hair of his head was white like wool. Keep reading. His throne was flaming with fire. we got fire again here. His throne was flaming with fire, and its wheels were all ablaze. Apparently, God's throne can be moved around. It has wheels on it. Interesting thought. Verse 10, And a river of fire was flowing, coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands attended him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court was seated and the books were open. And you know what? When I read, And the river of fire was flowing, I'm thinking Hawaii, Mount Kilauea. Have you ever seen pictures of Mount Kilauea at night? That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking this lava flow. Just watery fire flowing out from underneath God's throne. Isn't that amazing? Wow. So you've got all these pictures now. We've got, we've got, we've got uh, rainbows. We've got, we've got fire, gold and orange. One more picture. The last book of the Bible. Also in vision. Here comes. And Greg read from these words just a moment ago. Here comes Revelation 4. Revelation 4. Let's pick it up in verse 1. After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven. Through a crack in the door. Now, we're going we're to take a look ourselves. There's a crack in the door. There was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here! And I will show you what must take place after this. And at once, boom, verse 2, I was in the Spirit. And there before me was a throne. Here we go again. Throne in heaven. It's with someone. Someone is sitting on it. Verse 3. And the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper. Pliny the Younger, the ancient naturalist around the time of John, describes Jasper much different than the way it is today. It was a translucent stone. Light could penetrate through it. So I'm looking, and this being, it's like light is coming straight through him. It's like Jasper. And, more, moreover, carnelian. Carnelian? You know what that is? Brilliant red. So light, light pouring through. Brilliant red. And there's another color. Watch this. And a rainbow resembling an emerald. We got all those misty colors, but now John says, no, it's just, it's just this, this, this shining green. 
And a name, rainbow resembling an emerald encircled the throne and surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones. See, multiple thrones. And seated on them were 24 elders and they were dressed in white and had crowns of gold on their heads. From verse 5, the throne came flashes of lightning. We read that a moment ago. Rumblings and peals of thunder. Before the throne, seven lamps were blazing. These are the seven spirits of God. And finally, verse 6, and also before the throne, there was what looked like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. Just shine. Do you understand? Every time you and I come into this building and we worship God, that's what's, that's what's there. What you've got in your mind now, that's what's there. Something like it. Four realities that we can know about the throne of God. Re- reality number one, there is one. Reality number two, God is in the temple, seated upon His throne. Write it down, please. Reality number three, that God... What can we know? That God is surrounded there by myriads of intelligent beings. I'll give you a little extra moment to write all of that. That God is surrounded there by myriads... <coughs> By myriads of intelligent beings. You want to call them angels? That's fine. You want to call them living creatures? That's fine. They are obviously, here's what we know. They're obviously created junior partners with God in the administration of His entire universe. They work like this with God. Whatever, whoever they are. And by the way, John does the arithmetic and comes up with the same number that Daniel. We read Daniel's number a moment ago. Look at John. He must be a fast counter because he comes up with the same number. Chapter 5, just drop, go over to chapter 5, verse 11. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels. Here comes a number. Numbering thousands upon thousands, and that would be millions because a thousand times a thousand is a million. And 10,000 times 10,000, that would be a hundred million at least. So millions, numbering millions, and they, now get this. The Bible hasn't said a word yet about the temple. I wish I could tell you what the temple... I, I have no idea. All I know is that these millions, hundreds of millions, encircle the throne. They're right around that sapphire throne. They encircle the throne and the living creatures and the elders. How big do you suppose God's temple is? I mean, try to imagine this. How big do you suppose God's temple is? Any clue? You know, you come to Solomon when he's dedicating this little temple here on earth. And put this on the screen for you. He cries out, 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 27. He said, Oh God, the heavens, even the highest heavens, cannot contain you. There is no way we could build a temple for you. So how big is God's, how big is God's temple? I have no idea. Let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. What is the largest temple on this planet right now? Hmm? The largest structure on planet Earth today that is a structure for worship. Think of the largest temple. What is it? We know today. Buddhist temple. You're thinking over in the Far East? Maybe a Hindu temple somewhere on that mighty subcontinent? The largest temple on Earth today is that picture right there. St. Peter's Basilica in the Vatican. Our tour guide told us, get this, our tour guide told us that you can crowd 100,000 worshipers into that temple right there. Isn't that amazing? And yet, ladies and gentlemen, 100,000, what is that to the hundreds of millions that are in the temple above? Obviously, our puny, finite, broken human uh, comprehension cannot fathom 
anything big enough to house God. And yet the Bible says, no, no. He has a temple. His throne is in it. There are these myriads that circle Him. What do we know about God's temple in heaven? Number one, there is one. Number two, God is seated on His throne in that temple. Reality number three, myriads of angels surround God upon His throne there. And finally, here it is. Reality number four, jot it down please. We know that God's temple is His mission control for His universe and for this earth. Just two words. And capitalize the M, would you please do me a favor? Capitalize the M and the C. Mission control. God's temple is His mission control for His universe and for this earth. I tell you what, I would love this. I I don't know how they would have found my phone number. But I would love this if I would get a call one day from NASA and and, and the, the voice on the other end say, Hey Dwight, we hear that you would really like to get up close and watch the launch of a space shuttle in our control room. We got a ticket, come on down, and boom, to stand, to, to stand in the corner out of the way and watch as the ground just shakes and this takes place. I mean, can you imagine the thrill of being in mission control, huh? Mercy. Although you know this, don't you? You, you, you do know this. Mission control doesn't feel a single rumble. You know why? Because it's not in Florida. Do you know where mission control is? Call it out to me. Where is mission control? Houston, Texas. Let's put a a picture up of the uh, actual control room there in uh, Houston, Texas. That's where it is. But you know what? Big deal. When you're... Telemetry communication is wireless. The distance between mission control and the actual mission is immaterial. You can be billions of miles away, theoretically, and boom, you're you're in touch. And that's why David, you got to see this prayer. That's why he's praying the sanctuary prayer. Go back. I, I want you to see it in your own Bible. Psalm 18. David knows. He doesn't know anything about telemetry and wireless communication. All David knows is, God, I'm in big trouble. And you're in mission control. Watch this. Psalm 18. Find Psalm 18. We'll look at just, uh, look at verse 6. This is good news for you and me, by the way. The year is just commencing. You need to know. David's on to something right here. Psalm 18, verse 6. In my distress, I called to the Lord. I cried to my God for help from His temple. He heard my voice. My cry came before Him. Into his ears. Can you believe that? Telemetry, wireless, who cares? When you're in Lampson Hall and you're saying, God, I'm in trouble, help. Mission Control hears it. Even in Meyer. It's not quite as clean in Meyer. It takes longer for signals to get out of Meyer, but once it gets out, it's okay. Michiana, anywhere on earth, God, I'm in trouble. Help. He heard me with his ear. And notice his response, verse 9. And God mounted the cherubim and flew. Verse 9, he parted the heavens and came down. I called to him and boom, he came down. Isn't that amazing? Oh, my. If it happens to David... Surely it would happen to you and me 
You know what? When, when we're talking about the temple, here's the point, ladies and gentlemen. We're not talking about some little tiny bit of architecture somewhere in the universe that looks nice on a postcard. This isn't about postcards. This is about mission control of the universe. Mission control. Apparently, this divine mission control of the universe is so intricately connected with every creature in this cosmos that even a tiny little sparrow cannot tumble in death from its treetop perch without God noting that reality and marking that moment. Jesus said, Dear Father knows, a sparrow's down. And then as I wrote in my blog today, if he says it for a sparrow, how much more value are you to him when you cry out, mission control, help. Wow. Just one little click away. One click. Which, by the way, is our theme for the new season in... House of Prayer. You're going to see this. You're going to see this poster on campus. Uh, the next few days, <clears throat> praying through the sanctuary. Came across a method of praying I never, I've never experienced it, heard about it. Got a hold of a little book, and starting Wednesday night, we're going to take the schema, the blueprint, God's temple. We're going to move through it and find a new way. To energize our praying. If your praying is kind of hit a plateau and you're just not feeling like it, you know, it's not a big deal to me praying at all, I want to invite you to come Wednesday night, 7 o'clock, right over there in the youth chapel. Come and join, join us. Let's pray our way through the sanctuary. Just one click away. That's how, that's how far mission control is. As the world found out that day, and I've learned that one billion people were listening that day when the click went down from Apollo 13 to mission control. Houston, how's it go? Houston, we've had a problem. Now, popular lore says, Houston, we have a problem. But we've got the recording right here. First, I want to put a picture of that moment in Apollo 13. That's the actual uh, control room, all right? That's Houston. Now, this recording is a little scratchy. This is the actual recording of that transmission when they announce we've, uh, the, the actual wording is, we've had a problem. Listen up. Matter of fact, Commander Lovell, Houston, we've had a problem. They are on target for a catastrophe. Mission control averts the catastrophe. Now, here's the the deal. Can you imagine? Try to imagine with me. The stunned silence in the temple when mission control received that fateful transmission from this newly created planet. Heaven, do you read me? Heaven, we've had a problem. We got a problem. The new human race, two members big, has just voted to join Lucifer in his rebellion. Send help, stat. Now, heaven, we have a problem. And because heaven had a problem, a huge problem, get this. God says, all right, 
I'm going to build another temple on earth. I'm going to set up another mission control on earth. And I'll be there in the midst of the meltdown. Exodus. Let me put these words on the screen for you. Exodus 25. Some of you as kids had to learn this as a memory verse. This is a great line. Exodus 25. I'll read it off the screen with you. Exodus 25. God's talking to Moses, all right? They're atop Mount Sinai together. Then Moses, God is saying, then have them make a sanctuary for me. A mission control for me down there. Have them make a sanctuary for me and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. Would you write that down in your study guide, please? Let them make me a sanctuary down there where you are, Moses. Let them make me a mission control that I may dwell among them. By the way, this is not a replica of heaven's architecture. Let them make me a sanctuary. doesn't mean I'll send you the blueprints and we'll, we'll scale this. Pardon me. We'll scale this way down. We're not talking about exact scale of anything. You just make me a sanctuary. How could a human temple possibly contain an infinite God? You can't do it. In fact, I like my friend Roy Adams. In his book, The Sanctuary, he's absolutely right. I think I put the words in your study guide too. I'll put it on the screen for you. We should not conceive of the earthly sanctuary as a scale reproduction or replica of the heavenly reality. Rather, the relationship ought to be seen primarily in terms of functional correspondence, providing us with conceptual tools and vocabulary, allowing us to speak about the unspeakable, to comprehend the incomprehensible, however dimly. Just build me a place there. Would you jot it down? Please keep writing. The sanctuary on earth was not a replica of heaven's architecture, but rather a detailed and dramatic portrayal of heaven's strategic mission. It's about mission to save the fallen human race. In fact, jot it down. This would be a new secondary divine mission control room for earth. Which is why I keep the pen moving just a little farther. In Exodus 25, God says to Moses, fill it in here, there... He's talking about this little box that's golden. This little box called the ark. There, above the cover between the two cherubim, two angels whose wings touch, that are over the ark of the testimony. I will meet with you and give you all my commands. A new command center. Ladies and gentlemen, a new command center. Something is critical in that command center long ago. That we got to discover. In fact, let me put it. Here's one time I'll show an artist's rendition. Take a look at this. Isn't that something? It's just a, it was a small box, hardly three feet long. The ark, an earth command center for his people. But you say, hey, Dwight, come on, please, please. This is the 20, this is the 21st century A.D. What in the world does any of that have to do with us? And I want to say to you, it has everything to do with you and me. I want to end with the text we, we began with. Go back to Revelation 11:19. All right? We'll read it one more time. End with this. Revelation 11, verse 19. Then God's temple in heaven was opened. And within His temple was seen the ark of His covenant. And there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and a great hailstorm. Ladies and gentlemen, 
through a crack in the door, John is telling us that just before the return of Christ to this earth, there's an open temple in heaven. And inside the temple is the Ark of the Covenant, which is code language linking us to the liturgical services of the earthly sanctuary. As it turns out, and we'll unpack this together over the next few weeks, as it turns out, that single sanctuary piece of furniture called the Ark of the Covenant played a critical and central role one day a year in the very solemn observance called the Day of Atonement. The Jews still call it today Yom Kippur. The ark. It was to be a divine, it was a divinely intended enactment of God's final judgment of the human race before the return of Christ. Which means that by introducing the golden ark in heaven's temple at the end of time, the apocalypse is teletyping every reader to the reminder that a cosmic day of judgment in God's temple will take place before the return of Christ. And while it will look, remember the hockey graph? The hockey stick graph. While it will look like life is going on as usual, as usual, as usual. People getting married. People planting gardens. Boom, boom. The human race, including the living, pass through that judgment. Which means our friend Chris Martinson, if he's right, that through the power of compounding, Fenway Park of Earth can appear to be filling in a predictable, slow uniformity. I mean, look at I'm still, I'm still handcuffed to this. I'm not worried about my handcuff. Everything's going on as it's always been going on. Nothing's changed. Nothing's changed. If Chris Martinson is right, that in a very short span of time, suddenly everything can change and Fenway can be flooded. If Martinson is right, and he isn't writing about this, But if he's right, then what's going on right now up there is of critical importance to us down here. Oh, should I be afraid? Forget it. Afraid? Never. I want to end with this quotation from Desire of Ages. It's in your study guide. Oh, this is beautiful. The Bible shows us God in His high and holy place, not in a state of inactivity. Hmm... Not Buddhist. The Bible shows us God in His high and holy place, not in a state of inactivity, not in silence and solitude, but surrounded by 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands of holy intelligences, all waiting to do His will through channels we cannot discern. God is in active communication with every part of His dominion, but it is in this speck of a world, in the souls that He gave His only begotten Son to save, that His interest and the interest of all heaven is centered right here. Right now, God is bending. I love this. God is bending from His throne to hear the cry of the oppressed to every sincere prayer He answers. Here am I. I'm here. Heaven, we got a problem. Where are you? I'll have help in a nanosecond to you. The truth of the temple, ladies and gentlemen, it's the truth that God is still on His throne, which means mission control is still in control. That's it.
mission control is still in control. And you know what that means? That means if you will trust your life to Him this new year, just like Apollo 13, He will bring you safely home at last. So I say, I say let's tell Him right now that we're trusting our lives to Him this new year. What do you say? You want to? Stand to your feet. And by standing to your feet, you're saying, God, I trust my life to you this new year. I trust my life to you this new year. I trust you. I have no idea what's coming. I, have n- I-, I cannot fathom what lies ahead. But at this beginning moment, you can know I'm trusting you. Mission control to get me through. There's a, be- there's a beautiful prayer of confident trust that I want to end with today. In fact, it's our tradition here. On the first Sabbath of a new school year, you know what we do? We sing the Lord's Prayer together. To the Father on the throne in mission control. It is a prayer of confidence. Let's sing it as a prayer to Him right now. Thank you.